0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know how to help you. Now, here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Weiss. He is the president and co founder of Yield Street, which is a technology platform connecting accredited investors with borrowers in alternative investments. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. Let's just start with your background a little bit in the investment field before you got to forming Yield Street.
2: Sure. So my background is for the better part of 10 years, I've been in the hedge fund world, specialty finance and asset-based lending. I originally started out with uh, some of the more boring, you know, receivable finance, purchase order funding, run-of-the-mill. And over time, as I built my expertise and my experience, I got into some more creative things. I would say that uh, most people prior to Yield Street that knew me, my reputation was really in litigation finance. My partners and I are one of the top two or three litigation financiers in the world. Ultimately, in 2015, after being a part of that industry for a while and seeing a real opportunity, I co founded Yield Street with my partner, Malin Mihira.
1: So let's talk about what the opportunity was you saw from. The investor side and then the borrower side. So let's talk about the investor side. So how are you offering something to investors that they weren't able to get before?
2: Sure. I, you know, I think it's important to understand what Yule Street is all about and why we're building it and then really to, to talk about what specifically the investors were missing, Right. ultimately, okay. to give more context. Sure. So you know, Yield Street is creating new ways to make the most of your money, irrespective of your network of what your opportunities are. So, simply put, we exist to help clients, people make money. Yield Street is a digital wealth management platform that provides access to high yield alternatives investments that were previously unavailable to most people. So, the world that I came from was really dominated by ultra ultra high net worth individuals. And then the largest institutional funds that had enormous amounts of capital. Mm. We'll explain, you know, fundamentally why that was the case. So I think that this approach and this platform that we're building, we're the only platform with a multi-asset class strategy that has offerings across real estate, marine litigation, commercial finance, and others. And our investors are loving it. We're growing like crazy. Investments sell out in record speed, seconds, and minutes. We have... Over $500 million completed on the platform. We've generated a net return to investors of about 13% since inception. And we returned about $200 million of principal and interest. So that's kind of who we are. And I think that your specific question was, what is the opportunity? What are we building? Right? Like, kind of, why did I do this? Is that what you were, right. you were wondering? Yes, that's
1: right. Mm-hmm.
2: Sure. So there were three things that were chipping away at me over the years, um, in the hedge fund space. And finally in 2014, at the end of 2014, they kind of really came out. So one is that as I started out in my career, I had spent a lot of time raising capital. And I started out by going to a group of high net worth individuals who would give me anywhere from call it 750 to $10 million each. And what I realized was that it was a necessary means to an end, but that's not really where I thrived or what I enjoyed. What I personally enjoyed most about what I did those years was understanding interesting investments, rolling up my sleeves, getting into the weeds of it, seeing opportunity where others didn't as much. And in order to to complete those investment opportunities, I had to spend the time raising capital. So, One is that I felt that there must be other managers, and I started talking to other people in similar positions, and we all kind of had the same issue, that we were spending more time than we should raising capital, when really what we enjoy doing and where we make money is in the actual underlying investment. The second thing is that the people who are largely responsible are very much at least a part of my success over the years. The people who stepped up, who invested with me, who gave me capital, and who trusted me, uh, as I got bigger, I was really no longer able to continue servicing them and taking money from them. So you find yourself, when you begin, you know, really trying to build these relationships, raising capital, going out, meeting people, flying around the country and the world, and then there was a tipping point where I started to do you know, nine-figure opportunities, and I had to go back to the bigger institutions. And from a regulatory and, and an administrative standpoint, it became very difficult for me to accept capital from high net worth individuals and as you can imagine as the years went by and my reputation continued to grow and people kept returning interest in getting their money back so would the number of phone calls that i would get hey michael this is so and so i got your number from joe or from todd or from whoever i'd love to do the next deal you're doing and that became very hard for me to do ultimately impossible So what bothered me a lot was that as a young guy who was given a lot of opportunity and trust by a particular group of people, I could no longer repay the favor, say thank you, and enable them to co-invest with us. And that didn't bode well with me. I felt that that was a bit of a smack in the face. The third that was lingering for probably the longest time, but I didn't really have a way to fix it, was in 2008 era. I remember the holidays, 2008 tons and tons of people that I knew and some that were very close to me lost a majority of their net worth in the equities market. And Uh the market plummeted. These people were regular businessmen and women. And the fear of what was going on in the market had them pull out their money. Now, obviously, that's a fundamental mistake. But I remember being young and maybe a little bit too cocky. And I said to a particular person, I said, I understand how you can be so stupid to put most of your money into the market. And he looked at me and he said, that's what everyone does. And at first, I thought that that was the worst answer. But the truth is that that's what people did, right? You worked, you had your savings, you put it in Charles Schwab or Raymond James or wherever it was, and you would hope that over the following 20 or 30 years or when you would need your money, that it would increase. The challenge is that, I find people ultimately need to take capital out of their savings in different life events. So one is upon retirement, and two is when they need to supplement their income because something negative happened, whether it's a health issue or loss of job or loss of income. And a recession is very much a time where people dip into their savings. But if you have to dip in when the markets are down, then that's a very, that's a very dangerous cycle because it's hard to recover the money that you took out. And the point of all this is what I realized was over and over that the people that were participating in this high-yield alternative ecosystem were the richest people in the country and the world and the institutions. But the average Joe could not go and get into you know, the next skyscraper built in New York or the next fantastic real estate project or this great litigation finance opportunity or the shipping opportunity. It wasn't available to them. And the reason it's not available to them is because managers don't have time to run around the country and the world collecting $5,000 checks. So naturally, the best opportunities were limited to a very, very small subset of the market. And to me, I fundamentally believe that a richer world is a better world, is a safer world, is a healthier world. And I thrive off seeing people that work with me or for me or my friends Become more and more successful, and I wanted to be able to be a part of that. I wanted to take the skills that I had learned over the years and be able to make them available to more people and try and do something more than just make some money. And that's really when Yield Street came out. And the impetus for Yield Street was at the end of 2014 when the Jobs Act had come out, which really allowed for people to generally solicit to market for investors. Yes. And looking at technology, you know, those were really the two the two reasons behind the ability to finally, you know, come up with a business and found Yield Street to support these frustrations that I had from my side.
1: So these offerings are all through the so-called Regulation A plus uh, authorized by the Jobs Act. Is that it? Wouldn't have been possible without that law.
2: So it would not be possible without the Jobs Act, but they're not Reg A plus. These are five hundred six C. So fundamentally, the difference for us is that historically in the financial services business, you were not allowed to advertise to investors. Yes. And what 506C is, it's some enhanced regulation that required managers to, to provide additional tests. So for example, if an investor would go to a hedge fund on the old model, they would just say, hey, I'm worth X million dollars, and that would be it. Today, under 506C, if you market for investors, you have to have some verification processes in place to ensure that they are in fact. But ultimately what it means is that you can now use digital marketing and other forms of mass aggregation of getting in front of the masses to raise capital. And what that means is that I can now have a thousand people invest in opportunity and not just 10 meetings. So I can now, if somebody wants to put in $10,000, that's great. If somebody wants to put in $2 million, that's great, but they're treated exactly the same because you can leverage technology and you can leverage mass marketing. And without the two of them, business like Yieldstreet can never exist.
1: How does technology allow you to do this, to offer uh, these offerings to a wide variety of people?
2: Oh, in so many ways. So technology is, is completely fundamental to our business, and I'll give you a few examples. So one is, you know, my partner's background, Melind is a serial tech entrepreneur. The last business that he co-founded was a company called Yodel, which is an SMB marketing business. Ultimately, they sold to web.com for around $340 million. And Malin's expertise is really around digital marketing, tech, ops, and scaling large operating businesses. And mine was more on the investor management, investment management, or risk management. And what technology has allowed us to do, to give you a number of examples, number one is digital marketing. So we're out there acquiring tens of thousands of customers, of individuals who are looking for ways to earn passive income, who are looking for ways to be a part of good investments that couldn't have them. So managing that is only possible technology. Two is our entire website. The way in which we deliver these opportunities is only made available through technology. Right. In order for us to be successful, we had to have a platform that could provide for an enjoyable user experience for transparency for ease of use so like for example we've processed 250,000 distributions and we only have two people in the ops team you know an organization like that would have had dozens and dozens of people prior to the use of technology so everything that we do our loan management system our risk management our some of our due diligence our machine learning everything that we do here without the technology would be impossible
1: very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michael Weiss. He's the president and co founder of Yield Street, which helps people get high yields on their investments through this technology platform. You can find out more at YieldStreet.com. We'll be back after this.
0: always talking business talk to an expert call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network
3: we've all been there struggling to keep up with credit card payments searching for a simpler safer way out of debt well here it is Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control, and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt and it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners.
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Weiss. He's the president and co-founder of Yield Street, which is a technology platform connecting accredited investors with borrowers. Welcome back to the show, Michael.
2: Thank you, and thanks for having me.
1: So let's talk about the role of alternative investments like this in somebody's investment portfolio where we've had tremendous volatility in the stock market recently and relatively low yields on cash and bonds. What role should alternatives play in somebody's portfolio? So
2: personally, I like alternatives a lot. I think that liquidity premium is just too high. I think that people are paying too much to have liquidity. I think that alternatives is an area on your, in your investment portfolio that has consistently performed well when managed appropriately. I know that for myself personally and the people that are close to me, we tend to weight ourselves much more in the alt space than we do in liquid markets.
1: So the investments that people go through Street have a, a, a time period. What is the typical maturity of these investments?
2: I think our longest maturity is 48 months. Our weighted average duration is somewhere in the 30-month vicinity.
1: And is there any liquidity at all? If you needed your money before that time, before it matures, is there any way to get it back?
2: Today, there is not, but there will be soon.
1: So you'll create some kind of a secondary market in the future. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about some of the specific kinds of alternative alternatives that that you offer. The first one, I mean, there are many of them, but you have what you call large dry bulk vessel acquisition funds. Explain how that works.
2: Sure. So, the shipping industry as a whole was something that I had been interested in for quite some time. And I'll tell you why. I spent about 15 months really learning about that asset class and that business until we decided to launch it and um, we're about 121 million in in 5 months in that industry. So, what really excited me about the shipping industry is there's limited downside. Right? So at the end of the day, if the if the transaction structure is the right way, the vessel itself, the ship, is made up of steel. And the steel has core value. So at the end of the life of the ship, the ship is scrapped, and you will collect a certain amount based on the tonnage of your ship. So if your ship has 80,000 tons today if the steel market's somewhere around four sixty a ton, then you would get that amount. So what I liked about it was an opportunity to invest in an asset class where there's a real asset base. I like to think of it as floating real estate. And what we saw in that industry is that over the last ten years there has been a lot of retraction, and banks had pulled out, private equity funds had pulled out, and there was a huge white space with opportunity where we could potentially invest and protect our downside with number one, you know, underwriting to ultimately what a scrap value of a ship would be to make sure that we couldn't lose money, and number two is if you saw some of our shipping trades, we have secured a rated insurance policy around the principal investment or almost all of our principal in a deal. So what we do in these types of transactions and the specific one that you mentioned is we finance or purchase a ship. We then charter that out. So think of like a lease to a big tenant and we have consistent cash flow for a period of time. And then the hope is that as the cash flow pays down our loan balance, we will either be able to refinance and pay everybody back or sell the ship in the future and collect those profits. So what we're looking at is an interesting opportunity for upside potential and very limited downsides based on the way that we were financing this market. And I think that that presents a very exciting and very interesting investment opportunity for, for the people, for the accredited investors that are coming into, into our deals. If you look in the market, the other players are the likes of Cerberus and Oaktree and Goldman Sachs and publicly traded shipping companies. So it's the first time that accredited investors as a whole are getting access to such an institutional type of investment platform. So think about it, an average deal could be 10, dollars and people are able to get in for twenty, thirty thousand.
1: dollars What kind of yields are they uh, offering in those?
2: The yields on those typically range from eight and a half to ten and a half percent on that particular investment. I can check. Uh, I think it's about ten percent
1: Yeah. But this, this is not safe. about um, uh, tearing the ship apart, because there's an oversupply of ships, and there's some of the ordeals that you're actually pulling the ship apart and selling it for scrap. That, that's different than this other one, is that right?
2: Yes, that is very different. I would just jump in there for a moment and say that I don't think there's an oversupply of ships. I think that part of what has led to the correction in the shipping market in the last 10 years is that there was a time when there was a large oversupply of ships, If you want to digress for a second, I found it really, really interesting when I was learning about the business. So in the early 2000s, when China entered the world trade, the demand for ships obviously went through the roof because China started buying like crazy. So people were doing incredibly well in shipping. The banks were providing enormous amounts of financing, and ship owners were buying new ships left and right, which the banks were financing. Then 2008 comes, world trade kind of comes to a halt there's a massive correction that goes on in the market, and the banks retreat <clears throat> when private equity comes in. But ships, it's not like going and buying a t-shirt, right? It takes time for the ship to be built, the delivery can be anywhere from two to three years. Yeah. So all of a sudden, smack in the middle of the recession, this massive amount of brand new shipbuildings come hitting the market, which really caused a massive oversupply in the market and depress the the overall asset class and strategy that goes back 10 years, right? 2008, 2009. So today the order book is really low. There actually isn't, if you look at the vacancy on the overall shipping industry, there actually is not an oversupply of ships. The scrapping deal, the recycling deal that you had just referred to was not because in oversupply, it's because a ship has a specific finite useful life. So after mm-hmm. certain ships, 20 years or others, 30 years, they have to be scrapped. They cannot be used anymore. So what the trade is, is people, there are companies that will buy those ships from owners and then manage the process to sell them to shipyards, which end up breaking them down or recycling yards that break them down for their steel or aluminum and get paid for the raw materials. And that's what we were talking about a couple minutes ago when we said that there's limited downside because of the worst, worst case scenario, the ship is going to be worth at least what the steel is.
1: Yeah. Okay. Another area that you do, which is kind of unusual, this is your background, you said, is uh, lawsuits and investing in kind of pre-settlement of lawsuits. Explain how that works. That sounds like it would be a very risky kind of thing. What if you lose the lawsuit? So explain why that's not such a risky thing for investors to, and what kind of yield they're going to get from those kind of deals.
2: Sure. So litigation finance is an asset class that I've been investing in since 2009. I would say that I, on a commercial level, I was one of the first and only investors back in that time. And since then, the litigation finance asset class is one of the hottest areas where as many institutions as you can count are trying to try to find inroads into being a part of that, of that asset class. Within litigation finance, there's different ways to invest. So there's consumer litigation finance, and there's law firm loans, there's single case commercial, and let's say there's class action. I think we should kind of limit it. Those. those are the bigger areas okay. Okay. so on the consumer side think about an auto accident think about a pothole think about a slip and fall so <clears throat> i used to always give a great example it's may in new york city the seasons are just turning everybody's slowly forgetting about their vests and their sweaters and uh there's a cabbie who's kind of you know coming down 45th and madison and Spacing out, kind of taking in the, the nice weather, jumps a red light, hits a messenger, a messenger goes flying 30 feet, and this person's now in the hospital. So, as you can imagine, the messenger is probably a check to check kind of person, not really living in a lap of luxury, and is now out of work and not able to collect money in the hospital, a couple broken legs, maybe a back surgery, really injured. Now, most people would assume that the insurance company for the cab driver is ultimately going to pay for um, inappropriate reward and medical fees, etc., for the individual that got struck by the car given the cabbie ran a red light. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Insurance companies don't just say, oh, we're sorry that you know cabbie so-and-so hit you. Here's your money. You need to go through a process. And who's ever been in a personal injury lawsuit will tell you that that process takes a long time. So what happens is if the, you know, the, uh, the messenger comes home a month later or two months later after being in the hospital and rehab to a slew of eviction notices, canceled cable, cell phones on his or her last strap, pretty hard to put food on the table because he or she hasn't been able to work since the injury. So he goes to his lawyer and he says, hey, Mr. Lawyer, you know, I really can't afford my bills anymore. You've got to get me this money from the insurance company. And the lawyer says, listen, you got to trust me. It takes time. I've got to go through the motions. I have to show them the medical records, et cetera. And the bottom line is the story keeps going, but ultimately the lawyer at some point is going to tell the client, you have two choices. Either let me do my job and I'll get you the appropriate amount of money that you deserve, or force me to settle now and you're going to get a fraction of what you deserve because the insurance company knows that you're strapped. So there are these finance companies that will come in and provide financing, which over 80% is used for basic life needs, For individuals who have a case that's active, that's a function of a personal injury matter. And ultimately, these finance companies will only get paid based on the resolution of the case. Now, to answer your question specifically, the reason it's not super high risk is because every time they finance these cases, number one, it's active. Number two, it's taken on by a lawyer on a contingency basis, which means the lawyer only gets paid once the case settles. So you have to assume the lawyer thinks they're going to win. Number three, ninety over 90% of all personal injury litigation claims are settled. And of the ones that don't, let's say it's 50-50 roughly. So you have some pretty good odds baked in that ultimately you're going to get repaid. So that's an asset class that we have invested, I would say, over $80 million in the platform and have done really well with for a long time.
1: So the ultimately you get paid from the insurance company, basically, settling the deal. That's where the money ultimately comes from.
2: Right. So insurance company and major municipalities and pharmaceutical companies are your biggest sources of repayment. So there you're looking at effectively talking about risk. You're looking at effectively providing a non-recourse loan or an investment is really what it is. You're taking risk on the app, on, on how the case is going to perform. To And the recipient of the funds is a person who can often have very little credit, but where you're getting the money from, your credit risk of some of the greatest institutions and credit-worthy places in it. In the world, right? So, pharma, insurance, and municipalities. Yes. So, there's this perceived risk that you're quote lending or investing to non-creditworthy people, whereas in reality, you have these massive institutions that you're relying on for the funds.
1: Okay, we're going to have to take a break. We'll come back and do more about the legal uh, settlements. Uh, my guest this hour is Michael Weiss. He's president and co-founder of Yield Street. Uh, You can find out more about what we talked about, the vessel financing and the uh, lawsuit financing at Yieldstreet.com. We'll be back after this. stocks
2: bonds investment opportunities financial news and talk we can help call us now toll free 866-472-5790 866-472-5790
5: voice america business network do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable did you know that you can sell your policy for cash Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements, discover the true value of your life insurance, 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. 88% of financially
1: successful people read at least 30 minutes a day. They are hungry for knowledge and learning every chance they get. Blinkist gets you there faster than you could ever imagine. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them so you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes, all on your phone. I like to listen to Blinkist when I commute to my office. The Blinkist library is massive, from timeless classics like The Power of Habit to current bestsellers like 12 Rules for Life. My personal recommendation is to check out Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash moneyanswers to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash moneyanswers to start your free seven-day trial. You can cancel anytime. Blinkist.com slash moneyanswers.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Michael Weiss. He's the president and co-founder at Yield Street. Welcome back to the show, Michael.
2: Thank you. It's great to be back.
1: So we were talking about lawsuit financing. We talked about the personal injury But another way you do this is law firm loans. How does that work, and why is that secure for investors?
2: Sure. So law firm loans is an area that I particularly have been very excited about and liked for the last number of years since I started that. Wow, it's been uh, since 2009. So what we look for are opportunities to provide a loan to a law firm who predominantly has a large inventory of cases that are usually very diversified where they get paid on a contingency basis. So the law firm is effectively working on these cases without getting any income until they settle. And then when they settle or win a case, they get a portion of those proceeds. And what excites me is one is I think that there's a lot of alignment of interest between the client, the lawyer and the lender Two is, that most of the time in the portfolios that we've seen, there's an abundance of collateral and diversification. So a law firm may come to you and say, "Hey, I'm spending two million dollars a month on my budget, and I'm working on this, you know, large group of cases that's highly diversified, or I could potentially make fifty or a hundred million. I need a, an institutional or a financial partner to help me weather the storm of of the inconsistency in cash flow. So, for example, if You watch TV and you've ever seen, hey, if you were a loved one have been injured by Yaz or a particular birth control or a mesothelioma and you see all those advertisements. What happens is these firms are taking on those cases and they're working on hundreds and sometimes thousands of cases on behalf of people. And I think that many of those firms are what's really standing in the way of, you know, kind of justice in America. But more importantly, I think they're the only ones that hold corporate America accountable. And these firms often make a lot of money, but they make them very lumpy. So financiers have the opportunity to come in and provide capital to what's often a mature docket. So you have a finite window, you know, one to two to three years to a very diversified docket. So you could spread your risk across a number of different cases where your loan to value is super low. So you could be lending often five, 10 times collateral coverage, to what you're lending out. And to me, I've done very well in that, in that business, and I like that, that industry a lot.
1: What is the typical win rate on these contingency cases? Because they, as you say, they're taking them on. They wouldn't take them off. If they didn't think they are going to win. But what is the actual win rate, just roughly, on these kind of things?
2: So it depends who you're talking about. You know, some of the, the bigger issue isn't necessarily the win rate. It's the duration and the time. So, for example... You know, to refer back to the pharmaceutical, transvaginal mesh, that has to be one of the largest mass tort litigation cases that we've seen in 10 plus years. There's probably 300,000 women that suffer from stress urinary incontinence and prolapse issues as a result of a variety of transvaginal mesh products that were implanted in these women. And I mean, I can tell you stories from today till tomorrow about the terrible pain and suffering that many women go through as a result of that. Ultimately, what happened was, from from what I understand and, and from seeing that, that litigation and that case develop over time, there were probably thought to be, I don't know, fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 cases out there when it first started, and I think today there's probably more than 350,000 cases across a number of manufacturers. So the sheer size of the litigation gets so big. There's billions of dollars of settlements and verdicts, and anyone who would Google TVM settlement. You would see anything from Boston Scientific and Johnson Johnson and AMS and all these massive pharma companies. But the fundamental issue there is that because the litigation got so large and so big, that administratively it takes a very long time for that process to see through the end and to start the distributions and for people to ultimately get paid their settlements, these women. So the yep. timing gets stretched out so far. The law firms end up spending so much money over all these years without having any income and they need a financial partner to help support that. So what I have seen in my experience in litigation finance, if done the right way, if underwritten appropriately, then your real risk is going to be a function of duration risk, right? I always say the two givens that you have to assume by investing in litigation is nobody could tell you exactly when you'll get paid unless it's like a truly settled case. And nobody can tell you exactly how much you'll get paid. Yeah. Um, but overall, the combination of diversification, late-stage, limited risk, that makes for a very nice and attractive investment.
1: What kind of yields are offered on those litigation uh, uh, portfolios that you have?
2: Those range from 11 to 14%, I believe.
1: Uh-huh. Okay. Let's go to some other topics. So, uh, real estate another area you have multi-use real estate portfolios. You have residential renovation. Uh, now there are other platforms in the real estate business. How is what Yield Street do offer uh, different from other real estate platforms?
2: Fundamentally, as a whole, I think Yield Street differentiates itself on a, on a number of in a number of ways. So when we, when Melinda and I thought about Yield Street, we approached it from two different sides. My frustrations and my pain points, I spoke to you a little bit earlier. Malind was more as an investor. So Malind was, you know, consistently getting more successful over the years in his career and looking to diversify his portfolio. He felt he was overweighted in the equities market and he ultimately realized that he has no access to high quality investments and it was very frustrating for him. So when we came together, we spent about seven months brainstorming the two of us and saying, hey, are we really ready to go after this idea? We both had successful opportunities, and we wanted to be sure that we were doing the right thing here. And ultimately, the basic premise of our business is prosperity for all. That's really what our core mission here is. We want to build the largest digital wealth management platform in the world. So when we set out to, to build this business, we spent seven months with lawyers to find out from a regulatory standpoint if it's possible, And meeting people left and right and asking them the following question. If we told you that we have unlimited money and unlimited technology resources, what is the investment platform that we should build for you? What do you need? What do you want? And everybody answered almost the same thing in their way. And that answer basically was as follows. I would like a platform. So I would like to be able to go online. And see investment opportunities across asset classes, risk, yield, duration, manager. So ultimately, I want one place to manage all my money, but I don't want to take risk to that one place. I want that place to identify the best opportunities across the entire financial services market. And what they meant by that is we don't want to walk around with a black book. Hey, my cash is in these three banks, my wife keeps her cash here. My stock account is there, and my 401k is there, and on and on and on. So what we realized was that if we want to build a business that has long-term value, that is building a business for its customers, and not just to, hey, let's go be in this tech world and build a fancy-schmancy business, but we want to build a business that really has a value to it, then we have to build it for the customer, and we have to make it as we have to effectively create a utility. And yeah. what separates Yield Street is that every decision that we make, and as we grow our business, that is the primary thought. Are we building this business for our customers? So when you look at all of the products that we have, no one offers that. So no one offers a diversified investment portfolio with world class managers with a savings account of a high yield 1.3%. And as we continue to build it, we will continue to do that. So I think that's the key differentiation between us and any. Other platform. With regards to the real estate silo, what we look for today are real estate debt opportunities. They're generally 12 to 24 months. They are major metropolitan markets. They're less than 70% loan to value on average. Most of them are income producing or situational credit opportunities. And what I think you'll see as we continue to build that sleeve is you should see us continue down the path where the other altar. So finding the best managers, great transactions with real liquid markets, good borrowers with a real track record, real success, real net worth, and liquidity, who we can feel comfortable in providing a debt solution to. And,
1: and what kind what of yields, in, in the real estate space, what kind of yields do you offer typically?
2: Eight or 9% unlevered and 10 or 10.5% levered.
1: Okay, so let's just go through the process. Somebody goes on to Yield Street, uh, proves they're an accredited investor, and now they're ready to go. So uh, tell us the process of actually investing when somebody sees an offering is coming up. Sure. It's actually
2: super simple. It's great. So you log in, you sign up, you upload your banking information, your accreditation information, your identity information. That allows us to verify that you're, in fact, suitable by law to invest and it allows us to ACH funds from your account and deposit interest and principal back into your account when it's time for us to make distribution. So the way we operate is we'll send out a notification to all of our users, let's say on today's Monday, let's say we did it today, and we'll say, hey, there's this new real estate opportunity that's coming online. We're posting all the information, all the agreements, all the due diligence. Click here to view it, and on Thursday at 6 p.m., it will be available for investors. So we really push knowledge-based investments. We push people to study the information and material, to ask questions. We're here to answer them. But by 6 p.m. on Thursday, boom, there's this enormous amount of demand and users and traffic that come onto the site. And literally all you have to do is click the amount that you feel comfortable investing once you've reviewed the material, click Submit. You go through a few steps of just agreeing to the disclosures, the documents, the amount, which bank account, and done. It's under 30 seconds you could be invested. We ACH the funds right out of your account so you don't even have to worry about wires or sending in payments, etc. And then as we receive payments from the underlying opportunities, so let's say it's real estate, the monthly interest, we ACH them right back into your Yield Street account.
1: But uh, some, these are relatively limited offerings. You have more demand than you have supply in many cases. Is that right? That is right. So these things sell out in minutes or seconds sometimes? What, what has it been they lately? They
2: can, yeah. I mean, our, our record is actually sold out in under one full second. <laughs> what, so we're actually working on that aggressively. We continue to expand the investments team. Our dollar amount and number of investment opportunities and origination keeps moving up. Ultimately, what we hope for is not to be the best store, that it's so good that you walk in and there's nothing left on the shelves. It sounds great, but in reality, nobody wants to go to an empty supermarket. So as we continue to scale our businesses and build our teams, for example, in the real estate business, we have a new hire. His name is Mitch Rosen. He's the head of commercial real estate here. Mitch has been in the real estate world for 17 years. He was most recently managing just under a half a billion dollar portfolio for Brigade and before that at Marathon. So we're looking at really finding the best talent on the street in the investment world, letting them come in, running those silos in our business, really scaling those, providing for more origination, more consistency, more diversity, more expertise, and more high quality. And we successfully demonstrated that throughout this year, and you're going to keep seeing that at much better speeds over the next number of months as we continue to make these hires.
1: Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Michael Weiss, president and co founder at Yield Street. You can find out more about what we're talking about at YieldStreet.com. We'll be back after this.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
4: Attention Heroes. Current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how You can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com. 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners.
5: Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540, or visit truthenequity.com 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners.
1: If you're like me, the list of books you want to read is never ending. You simply don't have time to read them all. Blinkist has solved this problem. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them so you can read or listen to them in under 15 minutes, all on your phone. I like to listen to Blinkist while I commute to my office. The Blinkist library is massive, from timeless classics like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, to current bestsellers like Fire and Fury inside the Trump White House. My personal recommendation is to check out the four-hour workweek. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash moneyanswers to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash moneyanswers to start your free seven-day trial. You can cancel anytime. Blinkist.com slash answers.
0: You've been listening to the Money Answers show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: That's the Money Answers show this is Jordan Goodman your host. My guest this hour is Michael Weiss, president and co-founder at Yield Street, which is a way for people to get high yields on alternative investments. You can find out more at their website yieldstreet.com. Welcome back to the show Michael. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about the vetting process that you go through before you put a specific investment on the platform.
2: Sure. So, we have a five-point investment philosophy at our platform. We the five-point investment philosophy is number 1 asset backed with strong collateral. So, we look for opportunities that have some real collateral whether tangible or intangible, so a building or a portfolio of cases. We fundamentally believe that not every investment is ultimately going to work exactly how you planned it. So we like the idea of having real collateral that will allow us to recover our investment. Two is we look for opportunities that present low market correlation or for aspects that we can structure around correlation. So, for example, we had spent time talking about the shipping business, which is definitely a correlated business. But if you have long-term leases and you have the insurance product, then you're stripping out a lot of that correlation in there. Three is we look for proven asset managers, which is critical. When we started this business, we always said, hey, we wanted people to be able to invest alongside the pros. So we look for managers and lenders that have been in their respective niches or industries for a long time and really have an expertise that we can lean on and co-invest with. We look for opportunities that are relatively short duration. So, we're looking for up to 48 month duration. Most of our transactions have been between 24 and 36 months. And we look for a yield profile that has 8 to 20%. So, just to put that in perspective, obviously, we're a business, as you know, and many of the listeners who are exposed to us know that we've enjoyed directly as a result of the customer loyalty significant growth and scale but it's very responsible scale. So we've rejected over $3.5 billion of opportunities that didn't fit within our investment philosophy. In addition to that, or possibly even more importantly, if you look at our investment team, we really take pride in the expertise, the reputations, the track record, the success, and the character of the people that we hire here. And we continue to look for leaders in their specific asset classes and industries to partner with Street so that we can, on the one hand, aggressively scale and provide enough opportunity to meet the demand, and number two, more importantly, to do it responsibly.
1: What is the market opportunity? How big do you think this can get, like in 10 years? I mean, longer term, how, how big could this get?
2: Trillions. What we are really, what Street is really going to evolve is not simply be an alternative asset-based platform, as I alluded to earlier, our real aspirations are to become the largest digital wealth management platform in the world. So, if you look at, you know, one of our more recent product launches is the Yield Street Wallet, which is a deposit account, effectively for Yield Street customers. And the reason we launched that is it was kind of a, an iterative process. So, in the beginning, when we were making distributions back to people, we were sending them all of their ACHs. Of their returns, so it could be interest or principal. And people came back and said, Hey, it's great that I'm getting all this money back, but it's kind of annoying that I'm constantly getting my investment returns distributed into my checking account. I'd rather keep them in like a Yield Street account or its own account. Can we do that? So we said, Sure. So we went and we got a partner to have a banking account for our customers. Then our customers came back a little while later and said, Hey, We really enjoy being able to interface with this one platform for our cash and our investments. You know, if you got a nice rate on the funds, we would love to deposit more cash, not just the cash that we're actively looking to invest. So we went out to the banking world and we negotiated a 1.3% rate for our investors. So what we're doing, in effect, is we're constantly building... On our platform, we recognize the ecosystem that we built. We have an incredible loyal customer base that wants more from us, wants a better platform, wants more user-friendliness, wants more accessibility, more financial products. So I think if you come back in 10 years from now, what Yieldstreet is going to look like is there's going to be a suite of investment opportunities. On the risk spectrum, all the way on one end is going to be deposit accounts, then munis and treasuries and bonds and a much easier way to access them. And on the other end can be biotech and venture investments where there's opportunity for higher-risk higher reward. And all on the middle, you'll see real estate equity, alternative assets, asset-based lending. So as we continue to scale the business and we continue to hire more and more talent in the respective areas, what we ultimately want to become is the wealth management platform of tomorrow. And I think that market is enormous. So just to give you a sense, the accredited investor market alone which could be 12 to 14 million people, represent over $20 trillion of in investable cash. And we intend to move downstream to non-accredited in short order. So I think that the market opportunity is trillions and trillions of dollars.
1: And so why wouldn't the big investment, uh, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, and all the other companies see this as a huge threat and want to move into it themselves? That's a great question.
2: Um, there's a couple of ways to answer it. The first is to say I don't know because I'm not there, and to me it seems very obvious. The second, slightly more practical, is to say they are. So Blackstone and GSO were in, you know, very much related to a company called Franklin Square, which they went direct to retail and distributed over $16 billion through them. Franklin Square recently did a deal with KKR, yeah. in response to which Blackstone has now announced that they're raising a $10 billion fund direct to retail access. So I think what excites me longer term is that the masses and technology are the greatest equalizer in financial services. So people are getting crushed with fees. $600 billion of fees are charged in financial services on an annual basis. And that's because the person putting in five or $10,000 has no say, has no leverage, can't get a better deal. You take what you can get or you go home. But if you leverage technology and you leverage the masses and a million people come to Yield Street and now we're going and competing with the Goldman Sachs of the world and the KKRs and the BlackRocks for deals because we have hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in, backed by our retail, then we're just as strong. So in that sense, if you look at TIAA, they recently purchased Nuveen for I think it was roughly six and a half billion dollars. Nuveen is a broker-dealer like... Franklin Square was. So I think that a lot of these companies are definitely trying to figure out inroads of how they can quickly adapt to the moving market. But my third response would be that, I mean, what's true, tried, and tested, and what we see over and over the years is that massive institutions are not good at change. They're not built to adapt to innovation. They don't have the nimbleness required. And frankly, they're not crazy. And to be an entrepreneur, you got to be a little crazy to think that a group of I don't want to use the term misfits because we're not, but uh, a group of excited, entrepreneurial, spirited, change makers, innovators, and more, of, more than anything else, passionate people is what it takes to build a business like this, to go head to head. And what institutions have proven over time is they prefer to buy companies than to build them. Um, have, and that's what also, we constantly see in the market.
1: We have to end the show, unfortunately, Michael. Thank you so much. My guest this hour has been Michael Weiss. Uh, he's the president and co-founder of Street, a very innovative platform to get alternative investments with high yields. You can find out more at Yieldstreet.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Michael.
2: Thanks so much for having me, and I hope everybody joins us on Yieldstreet.com.
1: Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.